Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. What's going on, guys? This is episode three of the CUSA, uh, CUSA Hoops podcast. We are live. This is Alex Nicholas joining you live from El Paso, Texas, and trying to get some things going on pre-show, but I think my man Dave West is on the line. Dave, can you hear me loud and clear, partner? Yeah, dude, I'm here. Just trying to get um, – got a new mic set up, trying to get it worked out, but it's not complying, so it may be another, another week before I get that bad boy going. Technology is messing both of us up. I'm trying to play Madden online via my PS4. Been trying to do that all day. Having issues, Dave, trying to get hooked up with the mic. What can you say? We're millennials and we're struggling with technology, folks. But what's going on? A interesting week in Conference USA basketball that just passed. We're definitely going to jump into that. Uh, have our first guest uh, of the episode series, Aldo Amato. He covers the Middle Tennessee basketball. He is their beat writer. He's going to be joining us about 15 after to get his take on the Red Hot Red Leaders. Uh, he's the beat writer for DNJ.com, Daily Journal News, and we'll get to Aldo here. But, Dave, got to ask, straight up off the bat, you had an opportunity. I always look at these as quote-unquote opportunity of a lifetime when you get to go cover a game, a big-time game, and you had an opportunity to go watch the UAB Blazers, even though they fell short. But talk about that experience, man. It had to have been cool being a – in FedEx form, not only to cover it, but you also got to watch the Grizzlies later that night, if I'm mistaken, correct? Yeah, man, it was incredible. Like like you said, it's probably going to be a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Uh, we tipped off at noon central time against Memphis at, at the Forum where the Grizzlies play, and the Grizzlies and Warriors played later that night at 7. And I've only seen UAB play in arenas of that size just a couple times in my lifetime, and it's, it's just super neat with all the things that go along, go on in the concourse level, or you know, surrounding with all like the bars and the food and the people. But um, it's it's not the Memphis atmosphere of the past that I remember. Their Memphis fan base is it's just it's nothing like it was before. I mean, it's still you know old people like it, it's always been. It's a very old fan base. But they just do not fill that arena up at all anymore. Interesting, interesting. Because for a couple of years ago, I mean, they were the class of the league, so you can kind of see where they've gone, or where Josh Passner kind of, if you want to quote unquote, I'm going to say, run them into the ground because of where they were before. So no doubt about it. Interesting to see that. That's that's a really good take. But back to the Conference USA world, and we have some teams uh, here. As we start off with our training bar, some interesting games. Uh, right off the top of the bat, uh, right off the top of the, in my mind, we just keep talking about this team. It seems like week in and week out, and, and the question that we've been posing to each other is: Are they real? Are they for real? Do they have what it takes? Do they have the big men? But the Rice Owls continue to just kind of roll in a sense here early. They really, really kind of should have beat Texas Tech last week. Come back, uh, get Stephen F. Austin, who you can really kind of attest to as what kind of talent level they are. Igor, which continues his, his, his hot streak, goes off for 20 points on night, or 
where Marcus Evans went 2-12 and from the field and didn't hit a three-pointer, went 0 of 6, and that's the second time this year Marcus Evans goes 0 from 6 from the field. He had six points, but he did dish out nine assists in that win against Stephen F. Boston. When you look at this game, Dave, what does this tell you for Rice to be able to bounce back from a tough loss of game? I thought they maybe should have pulled away from late in that second half and then to bounce back and to handle what I've always – what's been traditionally – as a really good Stephen F. Boston team, what does that win tell you about where Rice is trending? Yeah, this isn't a Stephen F. Boston team from, from last year, but they're still good. They're still like a borderline top 150 team, and they're going to make you – they're, they're going to press you. Their, their press is just like that token press that we all saw in the tournament against West Virginia and Notre Dame, and they're still very effective at it. And that's, that's something I was concerned about with Rice is, is, their, is their ball handling and, and their management of their turnovers. And they held their own. I mean, they were up by um, double digits, and it's close to double digits in the first half, and they just kind of sustained that leap all, lead all through the second half. And uh, like you said, Evans had a cold night, had six points, was 0-6 from, from behind the arc. But how about Igor Kulishov, man? Now, that, 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 that really is somebody that we cannot stop talking about. Every week we seem to bring him up. And I didn't have him in my top five of CUSA Player of the Year potential, but he is officially, somehow or another, with Marcus Evans on the team, he has gotten his name into the conversation. And that's incredible. I mean, it's rare that you have two players on a team that are in the conversation, like legit in the, in the Player of the Year conversation. I mean, I totally agree. We've talked about him so much. He's eight for his last 10 from three-point land. Eight for his last 10. Uh, I'm not a mathematician, but that's 80%, bro. A 25-point effort to protect the tech. Then he falls to 21. And not to mention, he went six for six against the Cartman Ward from deep earlier this year. Dude, look at – I'm looking at his stats right now. From three this year, he's 26 of 44. That's 60% <laughs> from – That's dude, that's ridiculous. And he's like, – he, and, and it, that's not – it's not like sometimes where you see farther down the stat, stat sheet someone's shooting like 90% from three who's attempted like two. No, this guy's shot almost 50 of them, and he's shooting almost 70 – excuse me, 60%. It's incredible. It really is. It, and in my opinion, he's the best player on that team, and that's a really bold statement. But he, he – I mean, he, he's also bringing down 8.2 rebounds as, as, as a guard. He's 6'5". That's just crazy. And you look at, at what he's produced. I mean, he's shot over 60%, actually over 57% in four of their last five games. I mean, this guy, we talk about him every week, and he just continues. And, and like you mentioned, I, I'm, I'm going to disagree with you, but you're making a really good point to say that Igor is their best team, a, a, a best player on that team. Because I'm, I'm a, the biggest Marcus, Jackets, Jackets, or Marcus Evans fan you'll ever find. So I'm going to always vouch for my boy, M.E., but that that is really saying a lot, not only, you know, because he's bringing that rebounding production, 19.3 and 8.2 rebounds per, 19.3.2 rebounds per game. We talked about player of the year candidates. This guy's definitely upping, upping his uh, candidacy, and I don't need, and, and you feel that he's the best player in the team. I still think Marcus Evans is, but that is really saying a lot with where uh, Igor going, and, and Rice just continues to roll. That's now one, two, three, four, five, six out of their last seven, and they have an weekend. They kind of have a, a scrimmage game, if you will, against St. Edwards. And then they go on the road against Pitt, not your Jamie Dixon Pitt, but what do you see Rice? Well, obviously, we'll kind of look into that game earlier, but what are you looking for for Rice? Just to kind of keep improving, what are you looking for out of this game against Pittsburgh this weekend? 
Pitt's a really good defensive team, but Rice has played really well against good defensive teams because you, you can't defend everyone on the court at all times when you're playing Rice. Between Marcus Evans, Kulichov, Jackson, and you know, a handful of others, I mean, you've just got serious three-point threats everywhere, and it stretches out these big teams. I mean, ACC, I mean Pitt's an ACC team, and they, they're going to have big bodies in the paint, and they're going to score. They're going to do like Texas Tech did. But the problem is, like what Texas Tech learned, is if Rice is hot, you're swapping threes for twos. And, yeah. and that, that, that I mean, I, yeah, I, mean, I don't do math well, but that, that's not going to work. And, and then Texas Tech just got bailed out when, when they won their game. But that's a very winnable game. Um, the, the zoo is their, um, their, their uh, fan, their student section. I think it's called something zoo. I don't know. I'm not sure exactly what it's called. But it's wild, man. It's one of the best in the country. And Rice has never seen anything like that and won't see anything like that for the rest of the year. So, But, I mean, I, I like it. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and, and say that, that I'm, I'm going to guarantee an upset, but it would not shock me in any way. I would say that game is honestly going to be 50-50 game. But that's a very winnable game for Rice. There I say it, but Mike Rhodes is looking like a year candidate, not only in this conference, but nationally. Definitely the right side of the team that we've been talking a lot about. So moving on, we're going to really dig into Middle Tennessee with, with Aldo Amato here in about eight to ten minutes. But I want to get your take on that win against Vanderbilt. We were both kind of watching it. I know you were following it more, uh, uh, you know, on the game track. I was sitting here watching it. We were texting it. And I came away with two or three things from that game. Number one, the Raiders are deep. Number two, they have size. And number three, they have dudes. What did this – I mean, we, we've really talked about Middle Tennessee, what they did with Ole Miss, but to be able to back that up and just totally shut down uh, a team like Vanderbilt with that 1-3-1 defense, with the depth they have in the dudes, I mean, what's the potential of this team now that you've seen them really just kind of spank two, uh, two SEC teams with just really good defense? I mean, they are no question in my mind. They are a legit top 25 team. They are, they are the real deal. And I, I had my concerns going into that Vanderbilt game with that one-three-one uh, zone because it exposes of the corners. Those corner threes are, are open. And Vanderbilt had just hit 19 three-pointers in the game before. And so it was, it was a combination of a couple things that made it be a, the route that it was. Vandy was missing open threes when they had them open in the first half. And Middle was doing what they do, and that's turnover teams and they don't turn it over. They're in the top 25 of turning over teams and also in the top 15 of, of, of protecting the ball. And that's a lethal combination. And, and I'm going to ask Aldo about this. What it, what it really does is when they're able to play in transition like that, it helps hide the fact that they don't really have a point guard other than Tyreek. I mean, I mean Tyreek's good, uh, Tyreek Dixon, the freshman. But he's, I mean, he's playing minimal minutes. He's not put it, pushing out major assist numbers. Middle is just – it's kind of running their, their, their offense through Upshaw as a point forward and, and a couple other guys handling it too, and it's incredible. But that game really got away from Vandy because they, they couldn't hit the three, which we, we've seen now. That's something Vanderbilt's going to have to do to be, be successful. And uh, Middle was just a bear in the paint. I mean, they would not let Luke Cornett, that seven-footer, have much room, if any at all. He only had eight points. No doubt about it. That's a team that we're definitely going to get more into the auto model, but that was a very impressive win. I, I was my, my jaw was just open the way that they were just physically manhandling that SEC team, and they were just running in dudes left and right. You mentioned that point guard. 
these you know, they're not asking him to do much. They're just asking him to facilitate. He did a tremendous job, so definitely going to get more into Middle Tennessee. I want to switch it up a little bit and talk about a particular player that really jumped out at me, not just because of what he was, what, what he earned this week, Conference USA Player of the Week, and that is John Elmore. Had a huge game against Toledo and an overtime win, dropped 35 points, 11 and 19 from the floor. And, oh, yeah, he also had 10 assists. And then not only that, week before, uh, the game before, actually six, four days before, flirted with a triple-double, 27 points, 12 assists, nine rebounds. We talked earlier about Igor, Igor Kolachov not uh, being – we could argue that he could possibly be the best player on that team or not the best player on that team. I kind of think at, – look at John Elmore, kind of the same way matched up with Stevie Browning. But, I mean, this guy is just really, really on a tear. And if Marshall can kind of figure this thing out, I mean, do you think that Elmore is the guy that can really kind of run the table in that player of the year conversation that we're talking to? Or do you still have some work to do with you averaging 23 and 23 points and seven assists? Oh, oh, no, he's there. I mean, he's cemented in the top five. And he's gonna, as far as TSA player of the year, my top five. Um, he's averaging 24 points per game. And I'm telling you, that, that number is going to go up. He's going to be flirting somewhere up in the 24. 25, 26 points per game, and he's going to average at least seven assists. I don't think he can average a double-double with points and assists, but anything's possible. If you watch this kid play, he's one of the most confident basketball players in all of college basketball. I mean, the offense runs through him. He's going to – if he's got the ball, he's going to shoot it. He hit it from three. He can finish at the basket. He's a complete package. And I do think Marshall is starting to figure, you know, not necessarily figure it out. They know Marshall is what they are. Um, they, they know what kind of offense they want to run. But, um, but I think they're, they're really starting to keep the ball in his hands and letting Stephen Brian, Browning and Ryan Taylor and those guys just kind of be, you know, the, the second and third option. And that's how they're going to win. He's going to have to put up silly numbers, and I think he's going to. Uh, you were talking a second ago. Over those last two games in which they split, he averaged 31 points per game and 11 assists per game. That's incredible. Yeah. Ridiculous, ridiculous. I mean, that this guy, and like I said, you've got a guy like Stevie Browning, obviously Ryan Taylor. That's going to be a dangerous mix, and we've talked about them. So that's something to keep on going. Really thought that was a tremendous effort, 35 points. I didn't watch that Toledo game, but I'm going to guess that he probably made a couple shots down the street in that one, too. Wanted to get your take real quick before we bring on Aldo here uh, about Louisiana Tech. That loss uh, this past weekend, I, I thought that was a really surprising loss. Really thought that they were going to be able to handle business against Louisiana Lafayette. They let up 91 points. Is that is that a red flag for you? That's uh, kind of how we, highly we talked about La Tech last week. You know, it's really it's really not. And I I wrote about it today in my in my kind of uh, wrap up of what happened last week in COSA basketball. It was, it, was, it was a weird deal. Kedar Davis is out for the season again. He got hurt last year after four games. He's a senior guard, plays starter minutes, and, and that hurts. I mean, that, that, that hurts with flow and things like that, especially when you're going on the road against a rival, one of their old rivals from their old conference. And in La La, Louisiana Lafayette, they're, they're a good team. They're solid. I mean, they're, they'd be top half in Conference USA. And it was kind of a perfect storm, but they still had some pretty decent performances for a couple, from a couple of their guys. Eric McCree's doing what he's doing, but I, I'm, I'm cool with cool with Louisiana Tech. I'm giving them a pass. When you lose a senior for the year, and it's announced before the game, it's just it's just it's emotional and it's kind of hard to overcome, and especially when you 
when you combine that with, um, with, with being against a rival. Totally agree with that. Totally agree with that. Definitely going to keep an eye on Louisiana Tech, a team that we, now we were high on last week, and now you see they're going through some type of adversary. Definitely going to be something we're going to keep an eye on. But now kind of going back to where our conversation started earlier, we're going to bring in one of the top Conference USA beat writers on, in any sport, joining us from the Daily Journal, Aldo Amato. Aldo, what's going on, my man? Appreciate you joining us. I appreciate it. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Can you hear everybody? Cool. Cool. Hey, Aldo, how are you, man? It's Dave from the Daily Dragon. Hey, how's it going? Good. Go. Good. Going pretty good, man. Well, most of us here in the in the, in the, in the as far as following Conference USA teams, we all got to watch uh, Middle man, Manhandle Vandy the other day. What, what can you tell us about that game? What were some of the things that you saw in person that uh, may have surprised you, or you know, maybe didn't surprise you? Uh, well, thanks for having me on. Um, you know, first thing I saw was their one three one defense working and working efficiently. They had success. They've had success with that over the past few games, Just and it keeps getting better. Their defense is what's really caught my eye because it's forcing turnovers, and, and it worked against Ole Miss. That's how they were able to get out to that huge 29-point lead on Ole Miss. Uh, and it worked against Vanderbilt. I mean, they were only up by eight at the half, but you know, they came out again, and they were they were playing great one three one zone, and and they even switched it up to man. And you know, their defense uh, hasn't surprised me, but it's surprised. I guess the only surprising thing is how effective it's been game after game, and how better it's gotten game after game since the loss to Tennessee State. So, um, their defense has, has really gotten gotten better, no matter who they've played. Uh, you know, whether it's a great shooting team like Vanderbilt can be, uh, like an Ole Miss can be, like uh, UNC Wilmington can be. They, they've been able to uh, stifle defenses and cause these turnovers, which has led to uh, their best play, which is in transition. And so they love to play in transition. This team is, is built on playing in transition, and so far they've been able to play the type of game they want to. Looking at, at the way beat writers kind of cover it, and I can even kind of speak on myself too, that we can kind of get a pulse off of the direction of not only the team but the program by just being around guys like Kermit Davis, guys like Tim Floyd, guys like, you know, uh, you know just these old school kind of coaches. What kind of vibe have you been getting, maybe not even since, you know, their hot streak, but even before this, has, has Kermit Davis kind of changed his tone into where now he knows he has his program on the right direction, or is it kind of the, still the same Kermit Davis that you've kind of gotten to know just over the past couple of years? Uh, Kermit's uh, an interesting guy because he is uh, he's old school and he has a system, but he's able to still relate to and gain the respect of, of these guys who come in. Like, I'll give you an example. Tyreek Dixon, the freshman point guard, uh, I, you know, he was high on this kid when he signed them. Um, and he, and one of the first things Tyreek said to me when I talked to him, I said, you know, what was the biggest adjustment? He said, you know, learning Kermit Davis' system. And he wasn't complaining. He was just telling how he had to learn it in order if he wanted a chance to start in college or not. And what do you know, the first game of his career, he's starting as a true freshman. So he's, he's really maintained his system, I'd say. I, I, he hasn't really changed much. 
Um, and he's been able to keep them grounded. You know, they came off that big win last year over Michigan State in the tournament, the big upset, the, you know, the biggest win in program history. And not only that, the conference, people, you know, people, not not you guys, nobody, you know, we all are Conference USA uh, writers and Conference USA junkies, but, you know, a lot of people lost in the upset was the conference tournament championship that they won. And so, you know, but he doesn't let that go to their heads. And he does a good job of keeping them grounded, especially once they start making national noise uh, as we see it they're doing right now. Uh, Aldo, you were talking about Tyreek Dixon uh, you know, commenting on learning his uh, Kermit system and, and things like that. What, what I found amazing is he's got Tyreek starting, consistently starting as point guard, and but he's, he's not killing them with minutes. He's, he's, he's got them out there 17 a game. And what is pretty crazy is, is Reggie's almost running it as like a point forward or he's got 41 assists and 14 turnovers. That's incredible. For, for a power forward. And, I mean, what better position can you put a freshman like Tyree Dixon in to not have to do everything and have these pieces around you that can help you? Absolutely. You know, what, what Kermit said this after the, the Vanderbilt game is that you know, the reason why they love to play in transition is because everybody, one through five, are great ball handlers. Uh, from, from Tyree to Ja'Cory Williams, all of them can – can run the floor like a like a point guard, and and so that's taken off pressure from Tyreek Dixon or whoever's running the point. Uh, what Dixon is is a true point guard, and that and he's a left-handed shooter, which adds a little bit of uh, a different element. Uh, he's a left-handed shooter, and but he doesn't have all this responsibility on him to to really run the system right out of the gate. So he's still you're right. He's still able to learn a little bit about where to be, how, where his role is on this team. Against Vanderbilt, you saw a great defensive player uh, in Tyreek Dixon, who, who came out of high school as really just a pure scorer. And so he's he's really trying to find his place, um, you know, on the team. Uh, but he's able to do that in the starting lineup, and that's getting him more and more confident each game. And you're, you're starting to see that reflect in his stats. Me and Dave, on our couple of first initial uh, podcasts, we were really just talking about what the impact that your Corey Williams could bring to this team, not only early on averaging 19 points, but in the long run with a player of his caliber. Does his addition kind of turn this Middle Tennessee team into a team that, you know, could threaten some teams outside of the conference once they get into the NC tournament? I know that's really far-fetched, but basically how, how much has Corey Williams' presence really just raised the level of this team? He's he's done well in the fact that during his year off, he was able to expand his game by, you know, becoming a better mid-range and three-point shooter. He, and and it's shown this year. Uh, he's hit several shots from mid-range, hit a couple three-picks. So he's only made one three-pointer. Uh, but you know, he's hit a bunch of these mid-range shots. Uh, even though he's he's known as a just an athletic type of power forward, um, I think what what's helped is that his style of play really fits everyone around him, and that they're able to you know last year everybody knew them as a, a great three point shooting team with Giddy, with Darnell Harris, even Perrin Buford uh, was great three point shooter. 
and yes, they're still a very good three-point shooting team, but they're they're getting to the basket a lot more this season, and that's that's primarily because of two reasons: Gary Potts is playing inside, um, and also you got Corey Williams who, who's able to get off, you know get defenders off his back, and is able to really make these post plays. They they really didn't do last year. Darnell Harris was more of a a step out mid range three point guy, but Corey Williams can do pretty much everything. And so, yes, uh, to answer your question, yes, you can, you can take him to another level because he did start at Arkansas. Um, he, he's seen top notch competition from the SEC and elsewhere. Um, and he can take him, but they're going to need bench help. Um, I mean, Right now, they have their big three in Corey, Giddy, and Reggie, but they're going to need help from the bench if they really want to take someone down in the conference and, and possibly in the NCAA tournament. You, you mentioned the bench, and I'll tell you a guy that I really, really like uh, is Brandon Walters. And, I mean, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but he, he set out last year waiting to be eligible. And he's, That's right. he's just that – yeah, he's just that perfect kind of big-body guy you can bring in. That can that can just just fill space and, and middle hasn't had a guy like that in a very long time. No, I, I think it, it. You have to look at. I think he's the first one since Laurent Dendy. Um, you know, he's a he's a big guy, six ten. He takes up space, and you know he's work. He's still working on his shot. Um, uh, but you know he's he's thirteen for thirty on field goals. But uh, I think he's also still trying to figure out where he fits in as well, but he's been a great addition off the bench. And when you can bring a 6'10 guy off the bench, who's almost there. I mean, you talk to Kermit Davis, and he's almost there as far as really finding his groove. Uh, That's definitely something every coach would love to have. Yeah, it's scary. And and he's expected, he's going to be expected to be the starter next year because they lose guys. They lose lose Reggie. They use the lose to Corey, so he's going to be the guy next year, and, and they're and, you know they're loving that they can develop him in real game experience this year. Aldo Amato joining us here from the Daily News Journal. Excuse me, caught me sipping on something over here, guys. <laughs> he's another <laughs> Tennessee basketball beat writer. Last, last thing before you go, Aldo, I want to kind of get your take on, on the ceiling of this team. We've talked a lot about kind of the bits and pieces that have made this team really good so far. But is the ceiling of this team kind of head and shoulders above over everybody else in the conference where it's all about Birmingham? Is this the ceiling of this team possibly winning a game or two in, in the NCAA tournament, or is there still work to be done before that can kind of be solidified, even though they've had the start that kind of tells me they're maybe ready, they are possibly ready for that? I, 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 I think that there's still work to be done. I think, you know, when you look at the bench play, you know, their big three really has contributed to their scoring output throughout throughout all the games. Excuse me. They need they really need help from the bench if they really want to take that next step. And once they do, absolutely no doubt there's there's a feeling that they could scare some folks, uh, both in the conference USA tournament and the season, and and even the uh, NCAA tournament. But this. This is a team that really didn't do a good job, uh, or, or was really middle of the road as far as non-conference play last year. So I think they're they're focusing on that. For I think that's actually the reason why they've 
they've done so well is that they're not getting ahead of themselves uh, looking at Conference USA play, looking at teams like Western or, or UAB or La Tech or, or Marshall. They're, they're really taking it, one. I mean, honestly, one game at a time. You see it because they've changed up their style every time they play, like, you know, in Evansville and Ole Miss. They're able to adapt their defense to each opponent that they've played in the non-conference. So they're really doing a good job at, at, at scouting these non-conference guys. And, and instead of getting ahead of, and looking at Conference USA, once they get past the non-conference uh, play, you know, this month, and get it, you know, play UAB, you know, on the first, uh, that will be a great indicator of where this team is at because, you know, then they get into the Conference USA grind. And, and I think Conference USA is, is about to, you know, shock some folks. Uh, and really show Agreed. that it's yeah it's meant to you know they're they're taking the next step as far as a conference as far as basketball. There you have it. Aldo Amato from the Daily News Journal covered Middle Tennessee athletics for that publication. Follow him on Twitter at Aldo A L D O underscore Amato A M A T O. Follow him on Twitter. Good stuff. Always bringing the Middle Tennessee knowledge to the Twitter timeline. Aldo. Appreciate you joining us, man. Hope to hear you a lot more here as we move along to this podcast journey, man. I appreciate it. Thank you all. Y'all have a great night. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you man. I thought it was really, really interesting when he mentioned Middle Tennessee about their approach in this non-conference has been different than most because we've kind of seen Middle kind of trug in a couple of games before, a couple of games above 500 over the past couple of years, kind of finding their niche and then boom. They take off during conference play. They find that defensive niche. They find those shooters. They find those guys that, that have been consistent for them. And now you're seeing that here in the pre-conference. And I think that is scary as hell for a possible team that gets screwed out in the seedings in the NCAA tournament. I'm, no, I'm thinking way ahead, Dave. But, I mean, this team is dangerous as hell, man. No, no, dude, they're, they're legit. And to, to, to kind of look back at their non-conference last year, and in years past, uh, uh, Coach Davis always gets good games. He, he's been, yeah. in, been in, 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 in college for a long time. He's got a lot of relationships, and he always seems to schedule really well. And last year, uh, for four or five games in December, uh, Giddy Potts was ineligible. I believe it was an academic thing. I could have been wrong. It may have been an injury. No, excuse me. It was his head. He had a concussion. And so, other than winning that Alaska tournament that they were in, I think that was November, they had a pretty rough December, and it kind of, you know, carried over a little bit into conference play for them. But that ain't happening right now. But to, to, to preach on what Aldo said, January 1st, what a freaking game for CUSA basketball to have right off the bat for the two of the best teams in middle and UAB. And, you know, Blazers going up to Murfreesboro on New Year's Day. I'm going to be there. It, it, it's going to be a heavyweight fight. And not everyone who follows those two teams realize that UAB has won five straight against middle. And that's a monkey on their back. And we beat them by, you know, not quite double digits last year, but we were up by more than 20 in their house last year. And they're going to be hungry and they're going to be pissed. Definitely. That, that is a sexy matchup to have. And that's definitely going to be one that eyes like us are definitely going to be all over as we watch this middle Tennessee team continue to grow into conference play. Now, what Middle Tennessee has been able to do, in my opinion, kind of helping this conference shape their national perception extent. 
Uh, you know, I'm looking at some RPI numbers. Dave sent me a really good thing that I want him to touch on, but I like to use the RPIforecast.com. I did it last week. Uh, when I did the Conference USA uh, power rankings, the Conference USA jumped up two spots from 23 to 21. Tell us what you found, Dave. I think you found some interesting stats, some Kempom stats that really kind of show that on the outside, this league really is improving because they're take, being able to take care of business here in, in conference area and out of conference play. But is there still work? Yeah, there's a little bit work left to be done, but but we're but we're climbing. We're climbing each week and. That's, that's a big deal. That's, that's how you're going to get back into potentially bumping into those top 12 teams, excuse me, top 12 conferences, which, in my opinion, you've got – it is about 12 conferences that I think are the elite of basketball out of the 32. And for the first time since 2013, UAB's back in the top 15. Currently they sit at 14, and, um, which is right ahead of the Sun Belt and then right behind the Colonial and West Coast Conference. Well, realistically speaking, no matter what happens in the next couple of weeks, let's say that Conference USA just goes nuts. They're not going to pass the West Coast Conference. They're not going to pass a conference that has Gonzaga, BYU, and St. Mary's, especially this year. But jumping in front of the Colonial with teams like Hofstra, UNC Wilmington, which Middles already beat, you know, top 70 team. That's, that's a goal. If we can get up into that top, you know, between 15 and 13 and stay there and maintain that, we finished at 20th last year, which is just really, really bad. Teams, mm-hmm. uh, uh, conferences like, yeah, conferences like the Ivy League, Southern, the MEAC, excuse me, the MAC, like all those conferences figure up, finished ahead of us. And But, I mean, mean, we're right there. I mean, the Conference USA is a couple, two or three more wins and getting right in that 13, you know, 12 range. And and that's that's a huge step. So, I mean, you you look at being able to take up, take steps. Now, my question to you is if if Conference USA is able to grab, let's say, two or three or more top 150, 150 wins, but you come into the conference season and teams start beating up on each other, is that kind of bad for the conference, or do you need your UABs, do you need your, your Middle Tennessees to kind of run the table, talking about maybe losing at most two games and going 16-2, and 15-3, and three, hell, even 17-1? and one. Is that what it's going to take? Or, or to get some respect, do they need to really kind of beat up on each other? It, it's okay to beat up on each other as long as you come into conference play being top 100 teams. Right now we have four, and, and by the way, when I, most of the time when I'm referencing stats and rankings, I'm referencing Ken Palm. It's just a preference. So, but, yeah, I mean, we've got four teams in the top 100, and that's, that's what you need. It's okay for those teams to beat up on each other because you're, you're, you're building up top 100 wins, and you won't fall when you lose or win those games too, you know, too drastically. It's the stupid losses. We, we, those top four teams in Conference USA can't lose, you know, to, to the UTSAs, the Southern Misses, the North Texas of the world. You, those FIUs, you can't – we can't have you can any of those UTEP, this year. You can say UTEP, bro. <laughs> I didn't say UTEP. I said UTSA. You can, though. You can. <laughs> no, nah, man, I got too much respect for them, man. I totally agree. Though. But yeah, it's okay to beat up. Yeah, it's okay to beat up on each other a little bit as long as you're uh, the good teams beating up on each other. That, that's mm-hmm. fine. I mean, Conference USA needs 
needs realistically they need like five teams in the top 100, you know, you know, consistently. But hell, I'll take four right now, man. It's been a, been a minute since we've had more than two or three, you know, hanging out in that top 100. No doubt about it. And moving on to this week's action, I mean, this Saturday is if you're a Conference USA fan, this is very a very loaded slate Saturday. But I want to talk about kind of. Before we hit Saturday, some interesting matchups kind of jump at me this week. Obviously, tomorrow in my neck of the woods, uh, New Mexico State, UTEP, that's always a nice little rivalry. Uh, UTEP trying to find themselves, you know, they found a little bit of a niche with the three ball, being able to contest shots against New Mexico, but it really wasn't enough. Deion Barrett came out of nowhere and had a tremendous game. Deion Barrett's a three-star guy, really just a guy that's been a winner his whole career, and to see him kind of go off was positive. Watch New Mexico State really just dismantle New Mexico. New Mexico was at full strength with Tim Williams. This New Mexico State team is a very, very, very good mid-major team. I think they're definitely a top top team in the WAC, obviously, right next to Grand Canyon. Really can't wait to see when they, when those two play. Might actually try to get down to Las Cruces. That's going to be an interesting game just for UTEP to kind of pull them head, put their heads above water. Uh, you know, they just so much has gone on off the court, and to be able to actually talk some basketball. You know, from them showing up, basketball performance is pretty interesting. What are you looking at when you look at the Miners in this New Mexico State matchup? Obviously, it's a rival, but, you know, the Miners desperately, desperately need a win. I need a win. <laughs> I'm curious. Who do you think Dion is going to start taking some – Dion Barrett, the freshman. Who do you think he's going to start maybe um, stealing some minutes from – Yeah, I knew, I knew you were going to say that. I mean, we're not yeah. talking like – starting next game, or are we? We're talking, like, still coming off the bench, right? Yeah, but get, he only played 19 minutes. I think you'll see his his minute uptick anywhere between 19 and 16 because Artis is getting 35-plus minutes. Artis is getting 40 minutes. Omega is getting 35-plus minutes. So I think that's where you see that for sure. What, what's going on with Matt? Is he, I didn't get to see in per, like I didn't get to see video or streaming of, of New Mexico. Is Matt – is Matt looking like his foot's doing okay, Matt Wilms? Yeah, you know, it's, he's kind of looking at rust. You know, it's kind of, I honestly think it – I look at it as kind of lightning in the bottle for him when he came back. He did practice, he looked excited to go out there. And if you're a baller, you're going to go ball. You know what I mean? But in the longevity mm-hmm. of things, those extra summer workouts, you know, those extra shooting sessions, those opportunities to get up extra shots, I think even before conference play – you're seeing it now. Uh, I did a stat earlier with Wim. In his last 50 minutes of action, Williams has only scored nine points and six rebounds, and he's something like, like on top of my head, I think like four for 10 from the field, four for his last 11, compared to where he was the first four or five games. So he's better, but yeah, you, you're seeing possibly a wall just because he hasn't had that conditioning. But UTEP really, really has to figure those questions out. Like you mentioned, how many uh, does Barrett come into? to factor now and, and take minutes away and can Matt Wilms really, really kind of take over and get over these multiple injuries, the nose, uh, you know, had the shoulder a couple years ago and now the foot. So the Miners, talking about a get-right game, I don't know if this saves their season, but a win really will do wonders for this young UTEP club. And looking to Wednesday, this Wednesday to me, you got a lot of good matchups Saturday, but looking at, at the week before we hit Saturday, Wednesday is where it's at. You got Middle Tennessee going up against Belmont. Belmont's a top 150 team. And then Western Kentucky coming off a, a very impressive win last night. Now they're going into St. Mary's, a team that you saw, and you basically crowned them as offensive gods, which is very, very just to do as well as they are offensively. 
who who take who grabs a win? Is Middle Tennessee going on the road? We talked a lot about them. We, you know, where's the where's the meat in this on this Wednesday uh, slate for some Conference USA positive? Yeah, I'm I'm scared as hell for uh, for Middle at Belmont because Belmont yeah. exposes teams that aren't really 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 fundamentally sound on the defensive end, and that one three one zone as sexy as it is, and, and those fun turnovers it gets, and you know breakaway dunks. If, if, they, if, if they're going to leave those corners open against Belmont, they're going to have five guys on the court, four by four at least, that are going to hit the three 50% of the time if they've got any space. And the, I'm not saying it's a, it's a trap game. I mean, hell, I don't even know what their next game is after this. But I'm saying it's, it's a game that they could possibly have a letdown after being, you know, Vanderbilt down the street. So I'm a little worried there, but that that this is a game that's, you know, like Aldo was saying, games that could, that are really going to show us what Mill's made of. This is the game before the UAB game. This this is a game that's really going to show how defensively sound they are because Belmont that that's what they do. They're 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 like a poor man St. Mary's who I'm about to talk about. They've got guys on the court, you know, one through four who can hit the three and then they can play multiple positions. That's just that's just what they've always been, you know, you know, built on. But later that night. I'm I'm gonna say uh, I'm gonna say some negative things about what I think about Western in terms of their matchup against St. Mary's, but I don't want it to sound like I think badly of Western because I feel really good after they won, uh, that game they won at Indiana State yesterday. That's very a really handily. good Indiana. Yeah, very handily. Um, they're 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 starting to fire on all cylinders. They're getting um, point guard play out of a freshman named Howard rather than having to run through a shooting guard graduate transfer, Junior Lamamba from um, Providence. He was having to play that just kind of out of position. And then most importantly, uh, they got Jabari McGee, who's the, he was the, uh, he's been sitting out from Tennessee, and he's long, man. That was the first time I've seen him play. He only had like eight or nine points, but he just had – like you, you saw him on the court with a CUSA team and a, and a Missouri Valley team. And you saw you saw a D one play. You saw like you saw like a power player. You could just tell he's got that kind of length. And I'm 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 feeling good on Western. I feel like they're they're moving in the right direction. But St. Mary's is probably going to beat them by thirty. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. They 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 pounded UCI Irvine UC Irvine a couple of days ago after they lost to you know, Texas Arlington. I think they beat them by like forty. I mean they're gonna they're gonna exercise some demons against a couple teams and. And Western just doesn't have the depth to keep it worth. They're almost too big for a St. Mary's. They got too many guys that are to keep. There's too many guys on St. Mary's that just the ball movement. It's man, you you've got to be a team that's been playing together and experienced like UT Arlington, UT Arlington to be able to keep up with the St. Mary's. No, that's a great take. I mean, we talked about it so much when they're quote unquote big three of Pancake Thomas, Justin Johnson, and Q Johnson aren't right. That team isn't right, and you saw what happened. Both all those guys scored over 14 points against against Indiana State last night, and and that's the result. So if they can get any sort of resemblance of that, maybe it's a 10 point win, a 10 point loss. But I agree, St. Mary's is kind of on that another level. I'm really looking forward to that St. Mary's BYU game. That's just a college basketball fan later in conference play. Uh, Moving along to kind of the Thursday Friday as we wrap up the work week schedule. uh, Rice will definitely take care of business at St. Edwards. FAU – or, excuse me, FIU, I don't know too much about Georgia Southern. You probably know more about me. Is that a game they should win, or is, 
we've, we've mentioned how FIU is struggling. Is, is that going to be a surprise win or a game that they should take care of? Now, Georgia, Georgia Southern is a pretty decent team. Um, I mean, they're better than FIU, and FIU doesn't have, like, a, a home court advantage or anything like that. So, I mean, I, I, honestly, I'm, I'm chalking that up as another L for FIU, and I'm very excited about to talk about this Friday game, and I'll go ahead and lead into that with Florida Atlantic at Miami. Yeah, dude, FAU, I'm, I'm on it, man. I'm, I'm on that boat. Sign me up. Sign Phil delivered. I am I – am, Four FAU Owls. They, I love them, man. I, I love that energy they had against Ohio State in that upset win. And this is somewhat of a, of a rebuilding year for Miami, if you could say that, for an ACC team. This is a game that, I mean, can you imagine being at Florida Atlantic and beating someone down the road like Miami? I mean, what a program win. I mean, what are your thoughts on it? I mean, that, like I said, that was really – I felt that that was you know, their best win in school history, I mean, what a win this is. I mean, I didn't even look at, at kind of what what the line is. I always want to look at upsets. The first thing I go to is look at the line. But I could just imagine how big of dogs that they were in that game. And for them to really just kind of go on Yeah, and, and that, that it really, you know, it's kind of apples and oranges in a sense. But it reminded me of when FAU came into UTEP and Marquand Botley, every UTEP fan knows who Marquand Botley is because he knocked down a buzzer beater. And it's that same energy, that same attitude. You know, th- those are little things that are culture-driven, and you're kind of seeing that as much as FAU struggles, you kind of see that rear its head out. And, and you know, I, Miami, I, you know, I want to say just guessing that they lost some talent from the past couple of years, the nice little run they had. They had some really good recruiting classes, though, during that time. And this is definitely going to be a challenge for them. But that energy, you know, that ability to kind of just go out there and lay it all on the line in these type of games, which a team like FAU is obviously going to play four or five money games a year, that's going to be really interesting. And if I'm Miami, I'm definitely on, on upset alert. I'm definitely on upset alert. Hell yeah. So that's going to be a very, very interesting game. You can catch that one on the ACC Network. That's their extra channel. I haven't even looked into that. I have to check that. I definitely have to check that game out. Might have been yeah, we'll get, that, get that channel, baby. <laughs> yeah, I might have to find a stream right now for that one. But the Saturday slate, oh, my God. It's, it's stacked. It's Damn. stacked. stacked. I, and you know what? To me, right off the top of the list I'm looking at, even Western Kentucky at Detroit is a very interesting team. Hell, yeah, man. Detroit, dude, yeah, go play any team in, in, in the Detroit, you know, area. And, yeah, try to come out with a win. I love that, man. That's a good scheduled uh, road game for them. What about Charlotte and Florida? Charlotte, I mean, yes, we, we know they have that offensive skill power, but they've kind of taken their lumps the past couple of weeks. I got a chance to watch Florida get kind of demolished. It was Duke that they were playing in, in uh, a couple of weeks ago on, on TV on ESPN. Got to see our old friend Mike White. That's kind of a, a t- it's going to be a tough game for Charlotte, no doubt about it. Yeah, Florida's good. This is this is um, Mike White's meal on that for two years, but this is significantly. What are you dropping crap in the background? I can hear you. But yeah, this is Mike yeah, White, uh, <laughs> the former La Tech coach. This is this is his best team. It's much better than last year. And um, I wrote it today that Charlotte's fool's gold, and I got some pretty ugly responses on the uh, CUSA forum about that. The reason why I'm saying they're fool's gold is. I, I just I just don't know how many wins the way that Charlotte's built. I don't know how many wins they're going to get away from Charlotte. They're, they 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 depend 
yeah, on, on the guard play and the three-point shooting, and the, it, they depend on that stuff so much. And the wins that they do have, some of those teams aren't looking as good as maybe they were projected ahead of time. Uh, and, and the things are starting to kind of level out for Charlotte. And, I, and I'm not sitting here trying to bash them or anything, but honestly, Florida, it's just, this is, we're looking at like a 30-, 40-point loss here on a neutral court. This it, isn't actually in Florida at, at the university. This isn't a neutral court. It's some kind of like little tournament they're having. Orange but, um, yes, yeah, yeah, I'm not as hot on Charlotte as I was. That doesn't mean that they can't turn it around. I mean, they're, fig- they're still figuring some stuff out. And they're only year two under Mark Price, but but I'm not 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 so hot on Charlotte as I may have been last two times we talked about them. But uh, you know, yeah, let's, let's, let's talk about some more of those games. Yeah, and honestly, I thought they would give Forest a better showing just because they could hang with their three ball and their ability to score. But the two I, the two games that really just jump out at me, and obviously for RPI purposes and, and respect purposes, Middle Tennessee at Virginia at VCU, and then Rice at Pitt. Another 49th in the RPI. Talking about Middle Tennessee with an opportunity to grab two top 150 wins, and then you know the right. I'm, I'm on the roads train. I'm on my roads train. An opportunity to go into a, you know a Power Five on the road and, and pick up a win. Those are two must-win games where they're going to be challenges for both those teams. Yeah, and, and earlier I was talking about Middle um, at Belmont could be a trap game. I remember why I thought that. It's because of this game against VCU. Um, I don't know if you watched it, but VCU played in Murfreesboro last year, and and I think it was like a four or five point VCU win, but it came down to the last last minute, and, and Middle just gave it away against VCU, and so they owe them one. And VCU very rarely ever loses at home. You know, uh, uh, granted, they lost to Georgia Tech at home last week, which was crazy, but I, I think I think this is Middle's coming out party. I mean, assuming they can take care of Belmont. This is the game that's going to, you know, pro, you know propel them to the number tw- 22, number 23, 24, somewhere in the AP. I mean, this is, this, this is a program-changing week for them. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm psyched for them because I can't wait for them to be, you know, ranked in the top 25 when we go and beat their ass in Murfreesboro in a couple of weeks. <laughs> Dave, let's bring it to heat. Oh, I'm gonna have a Middle Tennessee USB <laughs> war here on the CUSA Hoopcast. Look at what you started, my man. Well, I want to get you guys over Rice at Pitt as well, man. That, that's kind of almost kind of that same thing. That's a program changing. I guess you could say win if Rice can get it, but I mean that that's huge for Mike Rhodes to try to go in there with a talented team, a team that maybe last year he's not confident of going in there, but this year I gotta feel Mike Rhodes thinks that hey, we can go in there and push these guys around a little bit. Yeah, I mean, they're going to straight up have to outscore them. I mean, that's really all it's going to come down to because, I mean, Pitt's got an older team, and they're, they're, they're a good team. I mean, they're, they're the kind of team that should win more than one game in the NCAA tournament this year. And uh, so, Rice, I mean, what, hell, what do you have to lose, man? Go in there and let um, Kulichov and, and let um, Marcus Evans shoot 15 threes between them and just let them go, dog. I mean, they, they've proven they can do it, but it's – but they proved they could do it at Texas Tech. I mean, Lubbock is not the same as playing yeah. at Pittsburgh with, with, with their, their, their crowd and their fans. So I don't think this is going to be – like even if things got real weird and got real rough, I think Rice has enough athletes that they can keep this within a 20-point game if things got real bad. I don't think we're talking like a nasty blowout. 
But nothing. I mean, it would not shock me to the least bit that if this this game is down to single digits with a, you know two or three minutes left. And I love it, man. I'm going to be glued into that game. No doubt about it. Other games on the Saturday slate: Northern Illinois, Northern Illinois pays a visit to FIU. North Texas will travel down to Sam Houston State. Marshall travels. They're going to lose that game, by the way. North Texas, Sam Houston State. Yeah, dude, they're good. Sam Houston State's good, man. They're they're down in the Southland with uh, SFA. North Texas is going to get bum rushed on that game. What about Louisiana Tech and Grambling? They play Prairie View A and M tomorrow, a game that I think that they should take care of. But can they bounce back this week? And and, and I I would think Grambling is maybe not a a stellar SWAC team, but they're going to pose some challenges, especially in, in a neutral a neutral court setting. Yeah, it will. I think I think it's gonna it's gonna be a good it's gonna be a good game for them to kind of get ready for the conference and test some of their some of their guards, uh, specifically Daquan Bracy, the, the freshman who is who is now their point guard. Who, I mean, he's gonna have to fight off a couple other guys for freshman of the year, but he, he he's gonna be in the conversation. He's he's been fantastic of late, and they've got an, I can't think of his name, but they've even got another freshman who is playing almost starter minutes. Um, now that QR Davis is out, so um, yeah, I mean they're, they're got, they still got some things that they're working on, but I don't think they're going to have a problem this week, and I think they're going to lick their wounds from the, the Louisiana Lafayette loss. But um, what I mean, uh, what I what I'm looking at is that, is that nightcap, that Northern Arizona UTEP. I mean, is that something that we should be concerned about? God help the miners. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, but y'all, y'all got a run of games at home, though. So, I mean, that's, that's a chance. I think it's, what, three, four in a row at home? Yeah, yeah. You know, right now, every time during the holiday season, UTEP always has a nice a nice string of home games. And then the really kind of the marquee of it is, is, is the, the Sun Bowl tournament this year with some really, really very decent mid-major teams. Akron's coming in here. Oh, I can't think of the, uh, uh, not Long Beach State, UC Irvine's coming in here, and Maryland Eastern Shore, you know, there's a weaker link. UTEP plays them. They're not going to be weak, though. I saw, I've seen a couple of box scores from them. So, yeah, this is, a, this is a, a decent opportunity for UTEP to get right. And then I watched a little bit of Northern Arizona. They're playing somebody on the tube, and I caught by two or, two or three minutes. Decent athletic team. But, you know, the miners got to get over themselves, and that's going to kind of be the end all. That's going to tell where this team is going to end up during the Conference USA slate. And, you know, it starts tomorrow in the Mexico State. That's going to be a big-time challenge. But, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of that one-track mind right now with the miners. Let's take it one minute at a time, one possession at a time. Sure. And God help the miners as I'm going to watch Glory Road because I have a bad taste in my mouth right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Uh, the the Sunday slate's kind of kind of light, uh, but there there are some decent games in there. Um, Georgia State is at ODU early, and this is this is not the Georgia State of a couple of years ago when they won uh, that conference game. I'm excuse me, that tournament game against Baylor uh, under Ron Hunter, who's always hilarious to watch. But that that should be a yeah, it should be a game for ODU to get kind of bounced back after losing a couple in a row. And um and, and then the final two I mean UAB's in, in one of those those games on Sunday. We'll we will we will have not played in eight games. And that's gonna it's gonna be nice to see UAB back on the court and get a chance against the SWAC team to, to get right and put some points on the board, see some baskets fall. But I'll tell you the one I'm liking. I'm liking that UTSA Texas A and M Corpus Christi game. Because Ooh, Corpus yeah, Christi's they're a good little team, man. I mean, it's not gonna it's not gonna tilt the scales on the national level, but I'm high on UTSA. They they get better every game. 
and that's all you can ask for out of, out of a first-year coach is to be out there and be competitive, you know? Yeah, I, I was honestly, I, I kind of was taken back just a little bit just because they got just whacked by Texas Tech. I mean, that game was bad. And it, it, but, it, but it does show the deficiencies of where he needs to recruit. It didn't show any deficiencies of what we've seen so far. I didn't feel like, oh, they took two or three steps back because of the progression that they made, particularly defensively early on in the year. But it, it exposed them of what they need to recruit, not only, obviously, to, to compete with Power 5 teams, but to be a, a top 5 team in Conference USA. That's kind of what opened my mind up a little bit. And, and I'm high on UTSA for – possibly knocking off a team they're not supposed to. Dare I say UAB? Dare I say Middle Tennessee? I don't think they're there yet. But you, you get what I'm not trying us. to say. If they can continue to grow, you put them in those type of situations. And I think that's a team that, that really, as they continue to grow, continue to recruit, you'll see Steve Henson build them into a top six program in this conference. But I, I personally feel there's still a long ways just because I felt they got exposed. We have that, to me, that's a game for UTSA. We talked about small little wins. I was reading a really good article uh, from the Las Cruces newspaper talking about Paul Weir at New Mexico State. Little wins that, that kind of add up. And I think for a guy like Steve Henson, if he can go in there, is that on the road, Dave? They're, are they in Corpus or is that in San Antonio? Yeah, yeah, that's in Corpus Christi. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's a small it, little win for them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hell, that would, that would give them their fourth win in the non-conference. <laughs> When they had, they didn't get their fourth win until almost February last year. So, dude, I mean, think about it that way. I mean, small nope. wins, you know. Yeah, I, I, I'm pulling for them. I'm gonna be watching Corpus Christi's a top 200 team. I mean, they're they're good. They're a good little program. So, I mean, you wouldn't shock me at all if they walk in there and 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 beat beat, beat a Southland team who's gonna have a lot more players to work with, a lot better team. So going to have a lot to talk about next week is a very interesting slate of Conference USA basketball starting tomorrow with Prairie View and La Tech. And then it'll end, like we mentioned, with some pretty interesting Sunday games, UTSA and Texas A&M Corpus Christi. So, Dave, number three is in the books. What, give, me, give me a crazy prediction for this week. It could be a player. It could be a team. Give me just something off the wall that you're thinking of. Oh man, I gotta go Rice and Pitt. I just something something just tells me the way that fate screwed Rice out of that Texas um, Texas Tech game. I think they're gonna go up there, man, and they're gonna get that win. And in you in Conference USA is gonna have three, four, five teams that are just sitting pretty going into January. And it's in, you know, and in this podcast is gonna go blow up because everybody's psyched about CUSA like us and heck. Stranger things may happen. I may actually get my microphone to work next week, which will be amazing. So I don't have to use these crappy earbuds. So, but I'm feeling posy, man. <laughs> so I'm I'm enjoying doing it with you, dude. Mark it down. 6:57 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Dave West predicts the Rice Owls to shock the Pit Panthers. I'm all with you. I'm with it, baby. Appreciate with you, Dave. It. Another one in the books. We'll be back next Monday, which will possibly be. Our last show of the 2016 calendar year, we'll have to work out that as I'm definitely taking some vacation time. I've been busting my tail. I know Dave has been work busting his tail over there, too. We're definitely going to need some time off for Christmas. But until next week, we will see you all for Dave West. I'm Alex Nicholas. Appreciate you all tuning in to the CUSA Hoopscast. Deuces.
Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.